fear can hold us stuck in place or drive us towards where we actually want to go. This is episode 229 on fear as fuel with Tyler Williams. You're tuned into Forever Athlete Radio where together we go far. I'm your host Corey Camp and today I sit down with Tyler, a country music singer and professional race car driver turned speaker and fear specialist. Tyler shares the root of some of the fears that he's faced across his years growing up and what he faces now and how he's been able to leverage those into his everyday performance and how you can start to do more of the same. Before we dive into it, this episode is brought to you by the new Forever Athlete platform. It's an all-in-one community hub for everything you need in your journey after sports. If you're looking for new life teammates, that's the place to go. With Forever Athletes all over the world, it's a great place to come together and meet like-minded friends to form life teammate bonds. At Forever Athlete, we're on a mission to help athletes be happier and healthier in that next season. So come join us on the platform over at forever-athlete.com. Now... Let's dive into the show. All right, Tyler, man, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to connect with you here on this fine Thursday. How you doing? I'm great, Corey. I appreciate the, the time, and I'm looking forward to the conversation that's to come. Yeah, man, I, I laughed when you when you reached out and we decided to find a time to set aside. You were like, we can debate whether racing is a sport or not. I want to start there. I want to hear your best argument as to why racing is a sport. And for full disclosure, I agree with you not doing this to combat, but I want to hear your, your best argument. Well, it's a high stress environment. There is a tremendous amount of hand-eye coordination. There is a tremendous amount of heat on your body. So the, the stressors your body is going through is immense. The heart rate variable, you're looking at, you know, on average you know, for the guys at the cup series, they're in the car for three to four hours a race, their heart rate, it was sitting at 120, 130, peaking up in the 160s or 180s, depending on driver fitness. Now you take that down to the short track levels where they're in the car for a lesser amount of time or even a, a sprint car type race where it's, it's very much a, a fast paced experience. The heart rate's elevated, uh, the, the risk factor. And so you imagine if you're, you're swinging a golf club, it takes hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. If you're about to shoot a free throw, hand-eye coordination, your heart rate's elevated, the stressors are there. And so you put all the hallmarks of what it takes to compete at most sports and package it together. Drivers have to experience the same thing. We just have the factor of the race car is part of the sport and you can't go fast without the race car. So to the outside observer, it looks like these cars are just going around a track. But for anyone who's been strapped into a car where you're wearing, imagine putting on your, your ski suit with a helmet and jumping into a car that's going to be 115 degrees you know, black right now it's, it's, I just moved to Charlotte. It's summer. It's hot. It's 90 degrees. So imagine jumping in your car, turning the AC or the heat on full blast with a snowsuit on and a helmet and gloves and boots, and then go drive around for an hour or two. Yeah. And, and that, that gets you the heat experience. So it's the all around experience of heart rate, hand-eye coordination, high stress. And it's just kind of compares to other experiences I've had with sports. You know, I, I, I played little league football, baseball, played soccer, as a goalkeeper in in high school. So um, it's equally, or if not as more mentally taxing than any other sport or experience I've had. When, when did you first fall in love with it, with racing? And like, when did you know that that was the, the gateway drug for you, that you were going to, you were going to go down that route? So as a kid, I knew I went and had an experience watching a local short track. I don't really remember it. We had to leave early as my cousin fell and busted his face open on the stairs. But the first moment was 11 years old, went to Atlanta Motor Speedway with a friend. 
his parents took us down there and to see the cup series for the first time you walk into the grandstands first of all it's just a massive circus like experience you know there's the flags of your favorite drivers waving there's there's people cooking out so you got this overload of sensory experience and then the green flag drops and you see these guys going into turn one in atlanta 190 miles an hour and they look like astronauts strapped into these rocket ships and so just the, the smell of the fuel burn and the, the rubber on the tires, I was hooked from that moment on. I didn't get to get into a race car until I started doing some Richard Petty driving experiences around 15, 16. And then that translated into doing mud drag racing, which is a super country redneck experience. But my uncles were into it and it was fun. And then from there, I jumped into some late models, which is kind of a precursor to a pathway to get to the Cup Series. Gotcha. Gotcha. What was that like initial feeling? maybe towards that later stage, like when you were starting to realize like, oh, like I'm good at this. This could be something that, you know, I do with a lot of my time. Well, at 19 years old, that was the first time I ran an asphalt short track race. And you're driving against some people who've been out there for 20 years. They got tens of thousands of laps at that same track. And you're wondering, do I have what it takes? You're thinking you could be the next Jeff Gordon, but you don't know. Now, fast forward those three or four years later, and you've got enough laps under your belt. And it's that feeling like I, I can make a run at this mm-hmm. and I, I've got the talent to do it. It just takes the right connections, right opportunities, right amount of money because racing, it's not cheap. And the landscape today is as much about money as it is about talent. And so it's this combination of just pure excitement of like, what could this become? Because I, I've got some talent. I can hone my media skill. You know, I was, I was definitely shy and introverted back then. I still am introverted today, but not as shy. And so you walk around going like, this is possible. And uh, I remember 2007 going up to Charlotte from the Atlanta area and testing a NASCAR K and an E series car. And it's like, man, this worked really well. We just need the funding. And mm-hmm. that's, that was one of those moments where it's like, we could hang with these people. You know, somebody compared me to a, a young Matt Kenseth, somebody who'd been in the sport for a long time and really knew Matt well. And it's like, man, like that, that's a good compliment. I like that. And so walked away from that experience, hopeful, uh, quickly things unraveled and we couldn't come up with the, the partnership dollars to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And then like most athletes at some point, things come to an end and you have that big question, like, well, who am I? Like, what, what is this life now that I don't get to do this thing? Yeah. What was that like for you? And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you had almost went through that multiple times in your career, like taking longer extended gaps and time away. Um, what was, just walk me through that, that wave of emotion, I'm sure, like of, coming to the conclusion that, hey, maybe I need to separate and provide some space here. And then coming to a realization at some point, be like, actually, that thing was really good for me. Like, maybe I should go back to it for a little bit and trying to figure out, like, what did you learn from that break in time, the distance away from it, and then come back for potentially a healthier relationship the second go round or the third go round? Yeah, that's a great question. And if you look at the last, I'm 39 years old, and if you look at the last 30 years, I've had experiences where it is that wave. If you're getting to do things you love, it kind of feels like it's taken away, do things you love, and the relationship does get better with time and understanding. The first experience was even with music. I also seen country music, and that was my belief that I could do uh, something that Marty Robbins did is combine music and racing and compete and sing at the high, highest levels. And as a kid, I had one bad performance. And I walked away from performing for a decade because I was just terrified to, to be in front of people. At that age, I didn't realize that nothing clicked. It was just like, I'm, through, I'm in high school, like we'll just do the deal. Ending of racing was pivotal because I was just finishing college. You're, you're making some big life choices. What am I gonna do with this thing? 
racing appeared to be over and I had friends around me or colleagues around me who their parents had bigger businesses or more money, more funding. And they went on to run ARCA and then some went on to run the Chuck series and you'd watch them and go like, I was as talented as them, if not better. Mm. And I had less equipment, less funding at the, the level we were at together. And so I was really jaded for that first year or two after, because you're watching the people succeed who you could outperform. And so those first years, I just turned my back on racing. I didn't watch a lot of it. I was frustrated, kind of let it eat away at my heart a little bit. And then over time, you realize how much you did love something and you kind of reawaken the love of just being a participant in the stands as, a, as an audience, as a fan to, to enjoy that same feeling. Because as 11 years old, that didn't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the cars flying by, that, that thrill still was there. And so it took time away just to recalibrate and remember the appreciation of something that was once really meaningful. Now, of course, once you're on the inside and you're at the depths of something, you see a different experience, right? Like when you are the really at the top levels of something, the, you see it differently than fans. So you're always gonna have a different perspective, but that first experience walking away was really tough. I learned a lot about um, just the resilience to come back home to myself and not give so much of my identity to something like I am the race car driver, right? Mm-hmm. Like these I am statements. It's like, well, I, that was something I did. And it's something that produced a lot of joy and a lot of memories and to celebrate because that was one thing I didn't do well was celebrate. And then roughly my late 20s, I got back into racing just for fun. I'd been doing asphalt for most of my career. And then I went out to a Corey Cruzman short track racing school out in Ventura, California, just to turn some laps in a open to a sprint car for fun. And that created a a friendship with Corey to go out and run some of his cars over the last 10 years out in Ventura, Bakersfield and and Tulsa, Oklahoma, and just have a good time. And yes, I put music and racing back together and and tried to to make a run at it, but it was a different capacity of like, you know, 20 years old, I had to force trying to be a cup series superstar. Mm -hmm. I've got to do this. This is the only path. If this doesn't work Mm -hmm. out, then like there's nothing else. Whereas the last 10 years is much more of, I want it to happen. I have a strong desire for it, but it's more about the experiences, the connections, the relationships, and remembering just how fun it is to go out and compete and throw these race cars around in tight quarters, high risk, and extracting the most fun out of it versus if I don't make it like life, mm-hmm. there, there's less life to live. Yeah. What, what shifted for you or what allowed you maybe even to just grant yourself the permission and the space to get to that more comfortable relationship, that more secure relationship in, Hey, this is something that I do. And I I love the way you said that you are, you still have a strong desire, right? It's not a, Oh, this has to work out. It is life or death. If this does not work out, but you still want it. What shifted to allowing you to be open to still wanting it? And how did you then start to work towards it in like a healthier manner in that sense? It was creating non-attachment to something, right? Mm. It's easier said than done, but it's working with those statements. I, I really felt like I am the race car driver. You know, my identity was wrapped up in this central piece of I have to become this thing. You know, my dad was a dentist and just retired after you know, 45 plus years. So it's like, I watched him and he's like, he is the dentist. Mm. You know, that's the one thing that he does. He doesn't do anything else. And so I looked at what I did as this experience of this is who I am going to become. 
And then when that was stripped away, it's like, well, now I'm nothing. You know, I didn't have enough personal development at that time in my early 20s to see there's so much more to me than just being a driver. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, just realizing you're more than the thing you do, even if it's taken a huge chunk of your life. You know, if you've been an athlete and you started playing at five years old and you stopped playing at 25, that's the majority of your life. That's all you know, right? And so, detaching from that outcome really helped me. You know, I think I needed those time, the time in between to be jaded to kind of turn my back away from it for a little while because it gives you perspective. It helps you see that one, you can be human. You can experience some of those negative emotions attached to it and realize like that's okay to, to not be okay about it for a while. And then come back, come back to it and realize it can still have a lot of joy and fun attached to it. And then just being surrounded by people who are cheering you on, but also kind of holding you accountable to it. You know, what else is there besides this? Mm-hmm. You're not, not letting yourself go down that path of every day. It's the only thing that matters. Yeah. I mean, shoot, I can relate to that. The amount of days that I made or break <laughs> and they were a good or a bad day based off of, did I hit pace? Did I, did I make the yeah. workout and, and everything? Uh, I grew well, up swimming. So, well, especially for me, like my background was asphalt and the last 10 yeah. years went to dirt and it literally was such a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was a kid learning again. And so think- that made it easier because now I'm, I'm totally a student at that point. Yeah. Like I, I think that's so needed, man. This, um, this ability, cause I, I think we all go through this, right. Where like I went through that post swim, um, wanted absolutely nothing to do with the sport for the first year. Uh, someone, an old teammate of mine reached out to me got me involved in master swimming, which is like an adult swim league. And I, it was still like too premature for me in a lot of ways. I was just like, I'm, I'm not into this. And it, I had some coaches in there that like saw my talent and immediately were like, we want to push you to be the greatest star on the team. I'm like, no, that's not like what I want. Like, that's not why I'm doing this. I don't, I didn't come back to the sport to do the same distances and the same events that I used to do. Like I want to enjoy my time in the water and so stepped back even further and it wasn't until recently i found this group here called deep end fitness and so they do it's exactly what it sounds like underwater workouts dumbbells breath holds like moving through the pool in ways that i never conceptualized but and it's like i have some strengths that i can draw on which is exciting and fun right like my baseline starting is higher than most it feels but good. I'm, yeah, but I'm still very much a beginner in a lot of other senses. And I think that just puts you in such a great spot. So I love that you brought that up too of you having that journey of, hey, yeah, maybe it does take 10 years to heal from this thing. And in those first initial ones, you don't want anything to do with it because it just maybe is a little bit too painful. It just reminds you too much of what was. And you almost recognize that you weren't or you're not there right then. And that can be obviously very frustrating at times too right well it's it's grieving something you once had such a a connection to Mm. and of course at every level of sport you may love something but you've got some drama attached to it because there's parents pushing you and you you're partially living their story but you're so good at it because you put in the time it's like can you step away from it all the people you might hurt you might hurt yourself who are you without it i mean you can get through the such a deep experience of questioning the entire existence of what you've done 
but in that season, that gap, when I came back to it, it did. It was like, I realized I was also accessing creativity and innovation and this flow state of experience because I mean, imagine like it's picking up a language mm -hmm. in your thirties. It's like that, that's a little harder than at 10 or 12 years old. And so I'd be lying if I told you every day was this beautiful experience. Like, oh, this is so fun. And like, I'm, this is the best day ever. It's like, there's days I still wanted to, you know, my dream to go to the cup series. I didn't hold that space, but I still thought, man, I could drive in the truck series, run 20 races a year and be on country radio and live a really fun, exciting life. Well, that didn't happen, but I thought it was possible. We chased it for a little while, mm. but it was, I didn't have that attachment to it. And I learned as much as I could to have fun and to laugh at myself when I look stupid on stage because I forgot some lyrics or I crashed a car and, you know, you just learn to be a little more grateful because with age, you realize that some of these moments are, they pass by rather quickly. And the things we think one day you'll look back and tell your grandkids or, you know, future stories to, to friends. It's like, you know, they don't last as long as you think they do in the moment. Mm -hmm. I was about to say, which kind of leads me into that obviously segue of talking around fear in general, because usually that's the the key ingredient that keeps us from working through those emotions, those things um, in the heat of the moments, right? And I'd be curious to hear your relationship with fear now. I think you have a really interesting perspective on how you lean into it and how you feel it. Um, so just walk walk me through that of what, because obviously going 190, 200 miles per hour in a freaking car going into turns that's it's pretty scary stuff but there's almost even scarier things out there that you're not being able to actually see with your own eyes and they're what we're perceiving to be in our minds how did you start to recognize one those fears existed and then two doing the work of like unpacking them as a kid i would have been described as fearless i was mm. on the go love playing sports love being adventurous being outside you know, jumping off you know, out of trees and anything I could to to be a rambunctious boy, right? And then middle school had one performance where I forgot the lyrics to the first song. And so you basically make a fool of yourself in this moment where you're trying to impress the girls that you're crushing on, your buddies that you're trying to impress. Walking off stage, I did the only thing that I knew to do was just stand in the corner and watch. But I said to myself, I'll never do that again. Mm. And that was really where my relationship with fear began. Because up until that moment, I presented myself as fearless. I went out and did the things that some people would have been afraid to do or just what felt natural to me to be expressed. Well, imagine a decade of your life taken away because you make a single vow. You don't want to experience the embarrassment, the, the negative feelings associated with it, the shame. You know, nobody made fun of me. Nobody laughed in my face. But nobody came around and said, hey, you can get back up and do it again. And so I lived in that space for 10 years of really being a suppressed mm. individual, not being able to be connected to the world around me in a way that um, was even more meaningful and powerful. And I know for listeners out there, everybody's had some experience where you do something and you feel stupid and then you never do it again. Or if you don't do it, you may do it again, but you mute the expression of the possibility. How much of that do you think it is us like projecting other people's perception of ourselves like onto them? And we're not actually like, I hear that story and I, I resonate with it on a lot of different levels. And then I'm also like, well, the only way we actually know what people are thinking is we directly ask and 
and talk to them, right? And actual yep. get get feedback from the source rather than, yeah, of course our brain is going to perceive, put its own perspective and spin on things. Well, that's fear, right? Yeah. In that moment, it was the end of the world. And I let it literally control me for a decade. I still have friends. I still, you know, nobody would said this guy is like off in the corner by himself. Like I did stuff that people like, oh, like he's, he's one of the people, like people like him. He's connected. He's playing sports, whatever. I just knew internally there was more to life. You know, there were more girls that I would have asked out that I was just too afraid. You know, there's more stages I would have gotten on. Um, but it is that story. There, there was a girl in that crowd that night that I'm still friends with. And I was retelling that story and she goes, I don't even remember that happening. I don't remember that happening, Tyler. And so imagine on the other side of that, you're hearing someone go, what was a big deal to you and literally changed the course of your life for a decade was not even on my radar. Mm. And I think that's true for so many people is we take these stories so personal, we create meaning out of the fear and we take it to heart. And sometimes it's maybe warranted because the, the experience is pretty tragic. It's, it's a deep wound. Other times it was just a fleeting moment that if somebody would have come alongside of me and said, Hey, you can do that again, but you're going to practice. You're going to put more time and effort and you're going to get back up and you're going to figure it out. Yeah. No, nobody in that moment did that. So I, I just lived a, a pretty internalized life, you know, you know, nobody knew what was really going on inside of me because I, I didn't know how to bring that to life. It wasn't something that was talked about. What was and, that? Yeah. What was that process then on the, the later end of that decade where it sounds like you started to become, I mean, obviously you've, you've dissected this, you've unpacked this in probably some more formalized settings, whether that be therapy, coaching, some, some sort of container that has allowed you to explore. Um, but what was that like that init one, that initial, Oh shit. Like this is what happened. These are the tools. Um, I'm sure I can only speak to my experience, but in moments of that, I'm like, it's such a mix of emotions of frustration of, well, why didn't I recognize that earlier? Like, how did I really miss that? That's like such a glaring thing. And then being like, okay, great. Now I know, like, how do I go fix this? How do I go utilize this awareness? But what was that for you? Well, I love the idea that we only know what we know in any given moment. So to give ourselves some freedom and grace to, to not beat ourselves up too bad. But for me, the catalyst moment, I was 27 years old. I uh, went through a breakup, this girl I thought I was going to marry. And within like a, a four week span, I had moved across town. It wasn't a big move, but it was just across town. The girl that I thought I was going to marry ended that relationship. After five years, my grandmother passed away and I quit my job. And you look around and you go like, there's one central theme in this story and it's this guy. There's nobody else that's looking in the mirror at me, right? And so you just start asking the question, like, how am I here? And if I'm here, what happened to get me here? And I wasn't living in a terrible place. Like I had supportive people around me. I had, you know, by world. And so I, I did some deep work. I started with some, some coaching and from there went to just doing different, I mean, uh, over the years I've done one-to-one -one coaching, I've done group therapy, I've gone to my own coaching training programs and emotional intelligence training, train to trainer events, and, you know, just added to my skill level of, of how I help clients now. But 
it just starting with the willingness to create awareness around why is my life currently in this state? Yeah. And to be able to look back and go, man, like if I knew this at 15, even just a portion of this, man, like, again, I lived a fine life by all standard. If you look at it from the outside, but when you add more color to your life in any form, because you can experience and access more joy, more vibrancy, you know, on the flip side, you're going to get a little more sadness, a little more grief. You're going to have some more anger, frustration, but I was so closed off on my emotional landscape that I was just such a protective experience of, mm. well, if I don't have to feel all these things, you know, I'm an, I'm an Enneagram four, I'm an INFP, you know, I'm a, I'm a deep thinker, deep feeler, and I don't always express it very much, but I didn't express it at all at 15 or 17. And so being able to sit with feelings, being able to recognize emotions, express it in places that are safe with people that can handle that because not everybody has the capacity to meet people where they are mm -hmm. collectively you know again this isn't a day one journey it's been a, a 10 year 12 year journey to get to this point today but it's really understanding that we all have fear in our life you know growing up i had the, the brand no fear all over the place and growing up in a church world we hear like fear not all the time you kind of have these messages that fear shouldn't be something you experience or like get away from it. Mm -hmm. When the reality is we all experience fear. There's no one on earth that escapes it. And it's how do we create conversation around awareness to embrace it and create meaningful conversations that help us realize this is actually a body system at function. This isn't just a, a mind game. Sure. It's a, it's in the mind as well, but there's awareness that there's things happening within the body that then happen in the mind. And when we create conversation around it, we allow the freedom to explore mm. and reduce the shame, reduce the guilt and other emotions that come with it so that we can then transmute it into something really powerful because there's so many people who have dreams. There's so many people who have ideas they want to bring to the world to innovate, to create change, especially right now, technology is shifting so quickly. You know, everybody's talking about you know, AI and chat GPT and all these other uh, AI tools that are out there. And so, it's looking at how do we create conversation around something that otherwise can be looked at negatively or to just the natural propensity to disassociate, disconnect, to numb out. I mean, I'm guilty of scrolling on social media mm -hmm. and you might say, well, that's not a big deal, but it's like, well, I'm, I'm running. If you really dive deep, I'm running from something. If I'm scrolling too long, yeah. I'm avoiding something if I'm on there too long, or I might throw on a, a TV show that's I've watched 10 times just because it's comfortable. And so you learn that what of our coping mechanisms and the things that we even, you know, we all go, oh, it's, it's not drugs or alcohol or sex, but there's still things maybe that are divisive that are holding us back from engaging ourselves with full awareness and coming back home to who we are. Because really this is a conversation about remembering how powerful we are. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you said that there of, um, you know, the, the reason to go into exploring in the first place this line of work doesn't lie in like the why behind it isn't to like extract fear extract sadness and all these other th emotions from your life and that they'll never be there and in fact oftentimes a byproduct is like you feel that even more <laughs> but understanding that you can work through that is huge because i would to your point like i don't fear will never 
go away. You'll you will learn to conquer and create a better like relationship with it. I'm sure over the time and course of your life, but it will always show up in different ways, different situations, different events will trigger it at various points. But it sounds like it's more about the having the awareness and the tools to work through it in a moment to moment basis, rather than oh, it's just gone and extracted from my life altogether. Is that fair to say? For sure, it's. You know, if, if you try to get away from it, you're automatically disassociating, you're running, you're avoiding. And so to be able to meet it really with loving kindness, mm. like this, this is a teacher, this is guiding me through something. And yes, over time, I can diminish or reduce the effect or we can create some resilience around it so that it's not something that's stopping you dead in your tracks. But it is teaching us something. It's guiding us through something. You know, it's creating a, a path to get through the obstacle. And we can use it as fuel to really create meaningful interactions with the world around us. Yet, so many people want to run from it mm. and not step into that world because past history, whether it's childhood stuff, adult level stuff, the impact of something that's so tangible and real still feels too prickly, too mm -hmm. pointy, and they want to stay far away. They, that, the fire feels a little too hot. And so it's creating a space to say, hey, we don't have to jump in this fire, but we might want to get a little bit closer to it to explore. You know, let's feel the heat a little bit. And over time, we, we find out what do they need within the conversation to slowly sometimes awaken a part of themselves that's been shut off for a long time. Yeah. That was going to be my next question is like, where does, where does one start with that? You know, if someone's listening to this and they're hearing it and they're like, yeah, fear has been running my life for a little while now. Where does that conversation get to start? Cause you said one of the keys to overcoming this and learning to embrace it is more conversations. Um, but like, what would your advice be to 15 year old self and to, Hey, like, this is what it means to actually have that conversation. This is how you do it. The first thing is just be willing to start. You know, don't even allow yourself the space to just keep avoiding, you know, create some type of catalyst moment to get the conversation moving. Hmm. Now, what does that look like from there? It depends on where you're at and what you need, right? And that's where in my work with fear formula, there is not a simple singular fear formula. It's what is your unique fear formula for you? Because what I need today at 39 is different than what you need today from where you are. And so it's starting the conversation with what, do you, what does the individual need? Now, if we're just going to throw out some ideas or thoughts or recommendations for how to get started, one, be willing to acknowledge fear is real for you. I have this thing in my life. And if you're listening, going like, yeah, I've been fearful and this is the thing. Like you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your stomach somewhere, maybe in your heart, maybe it's just mental space. And you're going like, I've been wanting to do this thing for years and I can't do it. Or I don't even want to do the thing because it's so tangible. It gives me the creeps every time I think about it. Just creating the awareness of what is that thing? Mm. You know, open up a, a journal or your, your laptop or your notes on your phone and start typing some words. And it doesn't even have to make sense. Just start writing. 
kind of just getting the things that are in the mind onto some form of paper or expression. You know, for most of us that are living with fear that feels like it's, in, it's, it's holding us captive, we have to begin to release what's been suppressed. So get it out, start flowing. And it could be, you don't like doing that. So maybe you take out a voice note and you speak it while you're going for a walk and get the body moving and just free throw some thoughts out as you're walking. Begin to create awareness and it doesn't have to make any sense to you. Mm. Give yourself the freedom to just be. And if that includes a lot of things that are, are thoughts rather than feelings, that's okay. You know, we're not always looking for what's sad or happy or, or anger. It's just get the awareness of I'm not comfortable in my body, in my mind, and throw out some things around why that might be. That's the first thing. From there, you get to decide what's working for you, what's not. You might need to get into your body. You might need to do just some, some breath work to, to slow the body down, to, to calm the nervous system. You might need to do some breath work to ramp it up. Maybe you're in too calm a state. Maybe you need to activate the system. You know, you know one, one type of breath work doesn't work for everyone because everybody's in a different state. You know, fight, fight, fawn, freeze, depending on where you are. We need to do some different things with breath work. Maybe you need to do some actual body work and get the body out and literally shake the body out. Have you ever seen animals in the wild getting attacked and they, they get back up because they survived? They'll have these moments where their body's shaking and trembling. It's like their body's recalibrating. Mm. So maybe you got to, you know, stand up and just shake the body out, let the body move. You know, I think one thing that when we talk about suppression is we're really good at being just these like stoic, non-expressive beings. And yet we have these tools and resources with our hands and our feet and our bodies to move and you know, really express. And it doesn't have to be going out and dancing or anything crazy like that, but just yeah. shake the body out. You know, easily, you can go to a yoga, Pilates, go for a run, jumping jacks. Um, all kinds of tools to, just, to get in the mind, in the body, but less thinking about it and doing. So we're, we're creating some movement. Yeah. I, I love that you brought brought that up. I love the the mind body connection. You know, even just the other day, I was getting it was getting closer to uh, my my therapy appointment, and I was like feeling all this stuck energy in my forearms, my elbows. And I was like, "All right, I just need to shake this. Like, I need to like get this moving, get this flowing in one way." What are some some of your like go to ways that you found? just in your own experience that has either helped you or the people you've worked with, like really flush out the, that physical sensation. Uh, Cause I think oftentimes it's like we get trapped then in our body when we feel those, those like override the system. And then we, that's when we like truly get stuck. And then we could have the whole debate of emotion and energy getting stored in the nervous system. And then next time it comes up, it's even, even greater than that. Right. But, what, what have you found that's helped with that? I very much live in my head. And so anything I can do to get into my body is really helpful for me. And something I do almost every morning when I wake up, even in, I'll just do it in the showers, just kind of bounce on my feet. Mm. So just standing up, letting your whole body just kind of, you know, it's like imagine like if you're just pivoting on the, the, the balls of your feet, just up and down, kind of a bounce, get the whole body literally. It's almost if you imagine rebounding on a trampoline without mm. the trampoline. So just getting the, the body moving, getting some things flowing. I'll do that for, you know, maybe I'll, I'll breathe in with it. So I'll do some quick inhales and exhales as I'm doing it. And that kind of gets my, 
you know, thought life down into my body a little bit and just kind of be present with the body and feel it. And then I'll literally do some shaking. So full body, just kind of like let my body back and forth, just almost like a, if you imagine like a shaker in your hand, yeah, just kind of back and forth, letting the body move. Um, and then I might go from full body and kind of start with my feet and slow the top down and really kind of, you know, imagine if you ever shaking your ass, at, you know, as you're dancing, just screwing around. It's kind of like that. You're just letting your full body shake from your, from your feet, rolling it all the way up to the, the top of your head. And then I might even like lean over and just kind of you move the body in whatever weird ways, but still just kind of feeling it out as, as I'm shaking it out. And that really helps me get into the body and it feels weird. It feels yeah. stupid. I mean, especially as a guy, like we're not taught to do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you, you look silly doing it, but even just a two minute experience of that in the shower or any time throughout the middle of the day, if I just need to kind of come back to the body, yeah. it's a great way for me to really create some presence. And then sometimes I might just sit and you know, put a hand right on the, the heart, put a hand on the belly and just do some breathing just as a, a slow down, you know, small ripples move mountains. Mm-hmm. And we think we have to go do these massive things. And so just slowing down and remembering that if I take a few minutes just to breathe, that the body's here, it's holding space for me and the places where I'm trying to avoid or numb out, you know, I run from this really hard. I run from this really, really hard. And so when I take time to do it again, it's just, it's coming home and it's remembering that sure I can go out and and get information and learn and, and do things that can help me but I know most things I need to do today to make things happen. Yeah. But it's coming home to remember that, to slow the pace down. And the more that I can do that for me, that's when I become most powerful. And that doesn't work for everybody, but those are some of the tools that I use to get out of my head and in the body is just literally, you know, get some shakes going. Yeah. Get some you know, deep inhales and exhales going pretty quick pace just to you know, fire up the, the nervous system a little bit. Cause I can tend to be too calm. And so it, uh, those are, there's a few of my, my random things. And it yeah. just, again, it's the permission to, to feel stupid. Well, I think that that requires that, yeah, that self granted permission to like, you don't have to perceive, like you shouldn't be worried about how you're perceiving yourself in those moments, like fully surrender and let go. Like this is, that's what that whole thing is about. I'm smiling as you're saying all these different things. So it's like, Dude, this is what I did from like high school on in swimming as I prepared for some of the biggest races of my life. I would you would often find me bouncing around, just shaking, getting loose. Um, and I would always I was known for I would do two claps when I got up on the block. That was like my final two little claps, like, okay, let's go. We're here, you're, we're you're in the body, and we're, we're in this race for the next however long it's gonna take. Um, so I'm like, dang, yeah, it's amazing. Some of these skills and tools that we have used at various seasons and stages in our life still hold a lot of value and weight here. Even if they, the way that you're then executing doesn't look exactly the same, you know what I mean? But I find myself doing that now where even before sitting down recording with you, it's like, okay, like, what do I need to do? And I think it's so important to intentionally build that time to do those things do you find that you're like intentionally putting space into your day that allows for you to remember to like come back home and come back to those 
tools and less of that like because it's so easy now to just be like all right zoom meeting zoom meeting zoom meeting and no calendar boundaries so they just all back to back or some bleed into others like what's that look like for you on that side i don't have a, a hardcore set schedule or rhythm with it but it's more the intentionality of knowing okay i'm feeling something stagnant kind of like what you said like you notice you're about to go into therapy you've got this like feeling in your hands yeah. It's just a reminder that when there's those moments, knowing, okay, maybe I just do want to sit with my breath for three deep breaths. And that one minute is enough to, to come back home. Or maybe I need to stand up from my chair and literally for 30 seconds of, of bouncing on my toes, letting the body shake it out. Just that's enough to loosen up that expression or move some energy around. And so it's less of a formal, Hey, I need five minutes. Cause this, this is the dedicated routine that I stick with every single day and more just giving myself freedom to give myself that permission. So maybe I do that in the morning, maybe I do that at some point in the middle of the day, and then again towards the evening hours. And yeah. if I need it more than that, maybe I do that again. And again, this isn't like a 10 or 15 minute routine. This, these are like one to two minute moments just to kind of shake it out, get out of the mind, and then jump back into the next thing. So it's like, as you're going from, if you, you did a hardcore hour of work, Take, give yourself a five minute break and that five minute break, take one minute just to do something where it's attaching back to the body mm. and testing it out. Like you might find it, man, that thing that he told me to do was stupid. I hated that. It didn't feel right at all. But this other thing he told me to do or try out that felt really nice. And yeah. so you, again, it's like you find out what is your fear formula? What helps you come back home? What helps you remember your full power to access and express yourself out in the world? I always like to equate it to uh, almost like we're cooking up a recipe and we all have yeah. individual different tastes and some things taste better to us than others. And you get to experiment with, with it. And the more you embrace that experimental mentality, the, in a lot of ways, uh, better life begins to flow. <laughs> well, it's like, I love talking about deep things. I love long conversations. I love one-to-one -one conversations. I love talking about things that people sometimes avoid. And so if I am around people that maybe like Enneagram seven, who's like wanting to talk, like laugh, you know, it's like the golden retriever. They want to have fun and joy. And if, if every conversation is like that, they might be like, this guy's too heavy. Yeah. So it's like you, you learn these different ways to relate and connect and different aspects of how to help people access what they need in their moments. Cause if I try to prescribe what works for me for someone else, they might go like, this is too much for me. Like my system can't handle this. Mm-hmm. So it's being able to, to see people and meet them, not trying to force a, an a emotion or experience, but literally holding space to help them be experienced for themselves versus what I think they should be or do or, yeah. or test out because it, it's, it's too, there's too much beauty within an individual to try to imprint what I think they should become or be based on my own experience. Cause then I'm just projecting a hundred percent. I'm blanking on the, the name of the show, but there's a, a show on Apple TV um, that essentially like follows the life of a therapist who's undergoing his own grief of his wife passed suddenly in a car crash and his practice. And he's dealing with an issue with one of his clients where it, they're making some wins, but like they can know, they both know like the real progress is only going to be made when he starts to actually open up about what happened in his time away in the army and he keeps trying at times to like really force that out of him and it doesn't 
it ends up backfiring in so many different ways rather than just allowing that space to come up and, and share. But there's, I was thinking of that this morning, actually, of um, just finding myself over the past few years in spaces where um, vulnerability is such a powerful tool, but it can be quickly turned into like a weapon uh, for that makes people shut down and be completely uncomfortable and unsafe in spaces where it's when it becomes this like forced thing and it feels almost equivalent to um, if you've ever had like a CEO or a, a boss that like has the really corny icebreakers and you're just like, this does like, this doesn't feel good. Yeah. I feel like in the self-help world and personal development space, like that is the equivalent of corny icebreakers is like this forced vulnerability in a lot of ways. So I love that you brought up of this notion that we can take a step back we can allow the space to come forward, but at the end of the day, we can never force anyone to do anything. Well, and I would have been guilty of that day one when I first started coaching because yeah. it was such a, it was, this is the mental game. It's, it's let's dive deep. Let's get the questions going. Let's stir some stuff up. And then you learn over time, like that's not all there is to it. And then in the last few years, adding breath work into the spaces that I hold, you realize that in the capacity in which I do breath work, sometimes I don't even need to hear from the client. They don't need to verbalize any of it. It's just they have their own experience through breath work that is their own emotional release. Mm. And without them having to be, you know, they're still being vulnerable in the session, but it it's not a verbalized form. It's giving them permission to still be expressed without me having to know the details of some things that maybe they don't want to share. Or maybe they don't even know that they're subconsciously holding on to. Yeah. And that, that really has enlightened me into the power of, again, not just the mind, but the body. And what the body remembers and knows that we just don't have capacity to fully connect to. And so it's, it's giving one myself the permission to realize like, I'm not a healer for these people. I'm just holding space for these people. Mm -hmm. And in the process, we're having them create tremendous breakthroughs around their fears, around trauma pain points that sometimes we talk about, sometimes we don't, but it's allowing them to access a part of themselves that Maybe they just felt plateaued in their work, but now they've created a breakthrough because they know what's under the surface of that. Or it's a an athlete who's coming out of their sport and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And they're trying to find that joy again because they lost it. They lost the spark. And so the cornerstone of my work is helping people start fires that can become symbols of light because there's too much good left to do in the world that needs to be done and we don't need everybody on the sidelines watching. We need some people in the game. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I want to be mindful of our time here, man. I want to ask you the fast five, which are going to be rapid fire, one sentence, one word answers. And then we'll, we'll plug where people can connect and find more of what you're doing. I really, lo I really love the work and just the perspective that you bring. The first one of the fast five is what's your go-to podcast that you've been jamming on? The Diary of a CEO. Great choice. Number two, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? Past year. Well, it's kind of cheating because I reread it, but The Alchemist. Great choice. That's been, that's been, it's a, it's a standard go to, but yeah, it's a good reread. I don't blame you. Number three, what is something that you can't live without? Water. Number four, what is a quote that you live by? If it's been done before, it's probably possible. Love that. 
Number five, if you could sum up your focus right now to just one word, what's that word? Expression. You were really rapid fire. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I usually don't love rapid fire anything or the, the favorite questions that I struggle with those, but yeah. It's all good. Tyler, man, I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing a bit about who you are, what you do, and how you just show up in this world. Where can those people out there maybe find more of you, connect with you, learn more about what you do? Yeah, I appreciate the time, Corey. For people who want to connect, TylerWilliamsLive.com is a website. You can find all things country music, racing, speaking, coaching. If you want to follow most relevant space, would be Instagram, T Williams Live. And then if you want a free resource to start a conversation around your fear and how to engage it, you can go to 5minutefearformula.com and get a free PDF download of what it looks like to start the conversation on how to embrace your fear and kind of get those first thoughts going and how to be expressed and connected to your fear. I love it. I love it. I'll have uh, all linked in the show notes. Uh, but Tyler, again, man, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks, Corey.